Thanks for tuning in to the latest edition of the Inquisitive Prosecutor's Guide. On this podcast, we're going to be covering the latest developments in the law regarding searches of vehicles for evidence of the unlawful, and unlawful is the key word here, possession or use of marijuana in light of the legalization of some amounts of marijuana under Proposition 64. Since the passage of Prop 64 back in 2016, appellate courts have struggled with this question. Prosecutors have two, including Santa Clara County Deputy District Attorney Melissa Castillo. Melissa and myself have been reviewing both the published and unpublished cases bearing on this question regarding when you can do vehicle searches. And as you're about to find out, several basic principles have evolved in the recent case law to provide guidance to prosecutors and officers alike. This podcast will provide 45 minutes of general MCLE credit. Melissa, I know you are reluctant to become identified (laughs) as the guru of vehicle searches for evidence of unlawful use or possession of marijuana. So I really do appreciate you agreeing to join IPG for this podcast. Of course. Thanks for inviting (laughs) me to join the podcast, Jeff. (laughs) It's just sometimes greatness is thrust upon you, even though you do not seek it. Uh, All right. So let's start with a little background about the vehicle search, just in general, sometimes called the automobile search exception to the general warrant requirement for searches under the Fourth Amendment. Uh, Just basically, how does that exception work? Right, so basically, Jeff, under the automobile exception, an officer can conduct a warrantless search of a vehicle uh, with when an officer believes there's probable cause that the vehicle contains either contraband or evidence of a crime. And this includes the passenger compartment of the vehicle, it includes the trunk, and it it even includes containers where the officer believes that evidence of the crime might be located. So under the automobile exception, even a small amount of contraband can provide sufficient probable cause for an officer to search the vehicle for other contraband or evidence of a crime. Now, does that exception apply regardless of the fact that the so-called crime that's being investigated is just an infraction? Surprisingly, it does. Uh, There is case law that says that the automobile exception applies irrespective of whether the crime is an infraction uh, and even if that crime is not an arrestable offense. So what is is that case law? So the first case that I would direct you to is People v. Waxler. In that case, the court upheld the search of a vehicle for evidence of an infraction. Uh, That was a 2014 case. That same Mm -hmm. year, uh, the court in People v. Simpson also found that an infraction was sufficient to establish probable cause because a, an infraction, like a misdemeanor, has all of the same uh, applicable provisions with the exception of a jury trial. Okay. And then the last case I would refer you to is U.S. v. Robbins. And there, the court rejected the defendant's argument that there was no probable cause to search the vehicle because possession of a small amount of marijuana was only an infraction. Okay. So now, prior to 2016, uh, Did the case law permit a search of a vehicle under that vehicle exception when an officer smelled the odor of marijuana emanating from the vehicle or saw even a small amount of marijuana? Prior to 2016, the the answer is yes. An officer could search the vehicle uh, when an officer smelled marijuana emanating from the vehicle or even when he observed just a small amount of marijuana in the vehicle. Now, I know that over the course of time, marijuana went from being a misdemeanor to an infraction. 
did the general rule uh, change when the possession of a small amount of marijuana became an infraction? No, it didn't. As I've mentioned, courts have found that even if the crime is an infraction, because it still has all the applicable um, processes as misdemeanors, we can still search a car. Okay, now what about, uh, what happened, if anything, to the uh, exception or how it was used when it came to marijuana, when marijuana uh, was somewhat legalized by the passage of the marijuana laws that rendered possession of limited amounts of marijuana lawful under certain circumstances if a person qualified as a patient or primary caregiver under Prop 215 or the medical marijuana program. So even if a person possessed a medical marijuana card, that did not prohibit an officer from um, having probable cause to search a vehicle. Uh, the courts in uh, People v. Waxler and People v. Strasburg found that even if uh, the driver or you know the, the person in the car possessed a medical marijuana card, you could still search the vehicle under the automobile exception if an officer smelled the odor of marijuana or if they observed marijuana inside the vehicle. And so was there actually cases on this? There was. So like I mentioned, there was people v. People v. Strasburg and people v. Waxler. Okay. And what did those cases hold? Uh, in people v. Strasburg, uh, just generally I'll go over the facts quickly, mm -hmm. but a deputy approached two individuals who were sitting in the car uh, in a parking lot and the officer immediately detected this, the odor of marijuana coming from the vehicle. The uh, defendant admitted that he'd been smoking marijuana shortly before the deputy arrived, but he said he had a mar medical marijuana card. Uh, and so the officer never, nevertheless searched the vehicle and the defendant claimed that that was uh, an unlawful search because the officer could not search the car, did not have sufficient probable cause once the uh, defendant put forth his medical marijuana card. But the court there uh, found that that was wrong. And even though the uh, defendant had a medical marijuana card, it did not preclude the deputy from establishing the sufficient probable cause to search the car. And there they based it on the odor of marijuana in the car um, because the officer could entertain a suspicion that even if the defendant only possessed that marijuana in the passenger compartment of the car for personal use, there could be additional quantities for future use in other parts of the vehicle, including the trunk. Uh, and then we have people v. Waxler. And in that case, the court similarly upheld the search of the trunk, sorry, of the truck based mm -hmm. on the odor of burnt marijuana. And there the deputy approached the defendant who was similarly sitting in his truck and the officer immediately smelled the odor of burnt marijuana coming from the truck. Uh, in this case, however, the officer also saw the defendant had a half uh, burnt marijuana, um, or sorry, he had a pipe with, a ha with burnt marijuana inside in the bench of the truck sitting next to him. And there the deputy based on the odor and on the burnt marijuana searched the truck. Now, in that case, it's a little unclear, but at some point between the initial uh, encounter and the search of the car, uh, the defendant let the deputy know that he had a medical marijuana card. And so there, the, def the defendant like likewise challenged the, the deputy's probable cause to search the car, and the Waxer court, like the Strasburg court, held that the police were entitled to search the defendant's car under the automobile exception. And the court explained that the automobile exception is not limited to situations where officers smell or see more than 28.5 grams of marijuana in the vehicle. Uh, it explained that even with the medical marijuana card, it doesn't preclude a warrantless search if there's probable cause to believe the vehicle contains contraband or other evidence of a crime. Okay, so that was the law basically up until 2016. 
Now, in 2016, California voters passed Proposition 64, uh, the official title being the Control, Regulate, and Tax Adult Use of Marijuana Act. And Proposition 4 enacted like a vast array of different statutes, some of which made possession of marijuana lawful under state law for persons over 21 in certain circumstances. Melissa, could you briefly explain when possession or use of marijuana is lawful under Prop 64? So, Jeff, it's important to note that the passage of Proposition 64 did not legalize possession of any amount of marijuana under all circumstances. So to possess marijuana in the state of California, you have to be at least 21 years old. But even then, somebody who's 21 years old and wants to possess marijuana can only possess less than 28.5 grams, and they cannot possess more than six living cannabis plants. So in other words, if somebody is under 21 or they possess more than 28.5 grams of marijuana or more than six living cannabis plants, they are in violation of Health and Safety Code uh, 11362.1. Do, do any of uh, the statutes speak to when the police can, can conduct seizures or searches based on someone's possession of marijuana? Yes. Uh, so vehicle code, or sorry, health and safety code 11362.1C um, regulates the possession, the use, and the transportation of cannabis, and it has to be in compliance with health and safety code 11362. If it is uh possessed, used, or transported in compliance with 11362, then that marijuana cannot form the basis for a detention, search, or arrest. Okay, so that's pretty uh, clear language as to when you can, can or cannot do a detention, search, or arrest. But is everything, it's all, are all kinds of possessions or use necessarily permitted under that section? So, for example, did Prop 64 change the law regarding driving under the influence of marijuana? It did not. Um, vehicle Code Section 11362.1C specifically says that Health and Safety Code 11362.1 only applies to conduct that's lawful. Uh, it's still unlawful for an individual to drive while under the influence of marijuana, amongst other substances. Does Prop 64 insulate someone from for example, possessing an open container or a package of marijuana while driving or riding in the passenger seat or in the compartment of a motor vehicle? No, it doesn't. So even after Prop 64, marijuana possession and transportation remains regulated in the state of California. So as I mentioned, under uh, Health and Safety Code 11362.3A4, for example, it's unlawful to possess an open container or even an open package of cannabis or cannabis products while driving operating a vehicle or even as while riding in the passenger compartment or in the passenger as a passenger in the vehicle. And then we look at vehicle code section 23222B1 and that similarly makes it unlawful for any person to have in their possession on their person while driving uh, any cannabis which has been opened or has a seal broken or even loose cannabis flower that's not in a container. Okay. What about uh, smoking or ingesting marijuana? Well, driving or operating a motor vehicle. That's still unlawful. Health and Safety Code sections 11362.3A7 and A8 and 11362.4B still make it unlawful to smoke or ingest cannabis while either driving or riding as a passenger in a vehicle. 
Okay, so with that as a general background regarding Prop 64, at least those provisions that deal uh, specifically or might be relevant to the question of a vehicle search, let's start diving into the question of when and under what circumstances an officer will be deemed to have probable cause to search a vehicle based on smelling marijuana or seeing a lawful amount of marijuana post Prop 64. Now, there's been quite a few cases both published and unpublished, that have issued in the past few years bearing on the question. The first of these published decisions, People v. Fuse, seemed to indicate that perhaps the pre-Proposition 64 rules were still in effect? That's right. So the Fuse Court didn't outright say that the pre-Prop 64 rules were still in effect, uh, but the Fuse Court, and that's People v. Fuse, um, so the Fuse Court upheld that the search of the defendant's car based on the odor of marijuana and the presence of half a burnt uh, marijuana cigarette was lawful. The court there found that even after the passage of Prop 64, the continuing regulation of marijuana led them to believe that the Strasburg and Waxler decision still allowed law enforcement to conduct a search of a vehicle. And that's just to determine whether a suspect was adhering to the statutory limitations on the way an individual can possess and use marijuana and whether there was any contraband or any evidence of the crime located in the vehicle. However, the court then went on to analyze the facts of the case beyond Waxler and Strasburg, and they ultimately found that based on the open container uh, in the vehicle and uh, other objective symptoms, the, the defendant in that case appeared to be under the influence. And so that made Health and Safety Code 11362.1c inapplicable in this case. Okay. so. Is it fair to say then that while Fuse did not directly hold that the pre-Prop 64 rules regarding whether the odor of marijuana or possession of a small amount, uh, even in an amount that would otherwise be lawful, were still fully in effect, it did suggest that a search could still be conducted whenever an officer smelled recently burnt marijuana and or a half-burnt marijuana cigarette because the officer would have probable cause to believe that the vehicle might contain evidence of the person being under the influence of marijuana or driving with an open container of marijuana. That's right, so the Fuse Court did suggest that, but whether or not those cases remain good law is really up for debate. So in Fuse, and there's some subsequent unpublished cases, the courts have upheld the search um, post Prop 64 based on the odor of marijuana emanating from a car. And they've explained that the odor is suggestive of criminal activity and can sometimes provide probable cause for a search but there is another recent string of published cases where the court has found that the odor alone is not enough and there must be something more. Um, sure, it's suggestive that someone having driven under the influence or while sure the odor is suggestive mm -hmm. of someone um, driving under the influence or having smoked in the vehicle recently, but that alone is not enough. So an officer would need other evidence like when the defendant was driving, uh, whether the odor reflects that they just smoked, whether the uh, defendant is displaying any objective symptoms that they are under the influence. So odor alone would not be enough based on those new cases. Okay. So since the decision in Fuse, as you've kind of indicated, appellate courts have tried to hone down when there is probable cause to search a vehicle based on the odor of marijuana or seeing a small amount of mar marijuana. So what I'd like to ask you now is, are there some general rules or trends in the case law that have developed when deciding the question of whether a search of a vehicle is going to be permitted based on the odor or presence of marijuana? So let me ask you, 
Is there like just a bottom line general rule regarding when the odor of marijuana or the presence of a lawful amount of marijuana in a vehicle will allow an officer to conduct a vehicle search under the vehicle search exception post Prop 64? Well, Jeff, I would say that after that recent string of cases finding that the odor alone is not enough, I would say the bottom line rule is that an officer needs to have additional reasons to believe that the marijuana has been unlawfully used or possessed um, and that the presence of a lawful amount of marijuana or just the mere odor of marijuana do not provide probable cause to search a vehicle post Prop 64. Okay, so this is probably the biggest change since Prop 64. And uh, would you say that this is sort of tied to the fact that we have this health and safety code section now, 11362.1c, that says you can't conduct searches based on just lawful possession, essentially under Prop 64. Yeah, I, I, like you, I think you said it perfectly. It, this is really the biggest change and it really comes down to health and safety code 11362.1c because anything being transported or possessed lawfully is not basis for search uh, or probable cause to arrest someone. Uh, and the, the cases just don't seem to think that odor is enough anymore. Okay, so let's try to discuss some of the situations where there will be probable cause to believe marijuana was used or possessed in an unlawful manner. Because as you've indicated before, the, the crux here is, is there a reason to believe that the marijuana was used or uh, possessed in an unlawful way? Right. So an officer would have to believe an, uh, that an individual is transporting or using marijuana in a way that's unlawful. And the health and safety code says that the ways that regulates the way that, that marijuana is transported says marijuana cannot be transported in an open container. It cannot be transported without a container. Um, it also makes it unlawful um, for there to be more than 28.5 grams or for an individual to possess more than 28.5 grams. So an officer could search the vehicle if they believe together with other evidence that the odor of marijuana or the marijuana in plain view is so strong. Sorry, let me break that down. Okay. That the odor of marijuana is so strong that mm -hmm. there is no explanation or there's no possibility that the marijuana in the vehicle would be less than 28.5 grams. Okay. The other way that an officer can establish the, the probable cause to search is if they see marijuana in plain view, whether it's in an open container or even in a closed container. Um, if it's an open container, that alone is a violation. If it's a closed container, if the officer can opine that it appears to be more than 28.5 grams, then that would also be a violation of um, the, the regulatory uh, laws surrounding marijuana and an officer would be able to to then search the vehicle. Okay, so not to, to beat a dead horse, but it, it's fair to say that, uh, is it fair to say that prosecutors should assume that Strasburg and Waxler are really no longer good law in this post-Prop 64 world? I would say yes. Um, the Fuse Court indicates it may still be good law, but given the recent series of cases like Lee, Moore, Johnson, Schumacher, uh, et cetera, Prosecutors should probably assume that an officer has to have something more than just the odor of marijuana or the possession of a lawful amount of marijuana to justify the search of a vehicle. Are officers who smell the odor of marijuana or see a lawful amount of marijuana permitted to ask follow-up questions, you know, before any search, permitted to ask follow-up uh, uh, questions to help them assess whether there exists probable cause to believe marijuana has been possessed or used in an unlawful manner? 
they can. Uh, so as I mentioned, a uh, case I just mentioned, People v. Shumaki and also People v. Hall, uh, both say that an officer is allowed to ask additional questions like how much marijuana a suspect possesses, whether that marijuana is in a container, where, where it's located in the vehicle, the passenger compartment versus the trunk, um, when that individual last smoked, and you know any other investigatory questions that the officer may need information to dispel their suspicions. And so they can ask those questions even if those questions are designed to determine whether or not there's illegal use or possession when even the illegal use or possession would be an infraction. Yes. it's. Whether it's a violation of an, of an infraction or a misdemeanor, so long as officers believe there may be a violation of one of the two, they can, they can still ask those questions. All right, well, let's say an officer smells a strong odor of fresh marijuana. Will that be enough to create probable cause to believe that more than a lawful amount of marijuana is possessed or is being carried in an open container? Maybe. I think I briefly touched on that a little bit ago, but it really depends. It really depends on the officer. Um, an officer has to be able to explain that, based on their training and experience, the odor is inconsistent with the pos- with the possession of a lawful amount, um, or even inco- inconsistent with possession in a way that comports with the transportation requirements. So, as I mentioned, they could uh, opine that the odor was so strong that it had to be more than twenty eight point five grams. Uh, in the vehicle, or that the odor was um, so strong that they believe the marijuana could, even if a lawful amount, could not actually be possessed in a closed container in the passenger compartment. Now, does an officer have to be able to say precisely how much fresh marijuana is present based on the smell in order for their expertise to be uh, used to help develop probable cause? In other words, does an officer have to say, well, on this level of smell of marijuana, I can tell it's 30 ounces versus, you know, <laughs> 45 ounces. <laughs> no, not necessarily. We don't expect officers to know down to the gram or ounces how much marijuana is in the vehicle. Um, as long as they can make a um, broad statement about the odor and, and that they believed it was more or less than the 28.5 grams, that should be sufficient. Um, but they do need to at least indicate whether they think the odor was put the, the marijuana in the vehicle over that threshold amount. Okay, so you're going to have potentially have situations where they, they say, well, I, I don't know how much marijuana they possess, but I can tell you it would not smell this strong. There's no way if it was under 28.5 grams. Exactly. Now, if an officer smells burnt marijuana, Will that be enough to create probable cause to believe there was a violation of the prohibition against smoking or ingesting marijuana while driving, or that the driver was under the influence of marijuana? The odor of the burnt marijuana, no, not not alone, um, because it's it's hard to tell how long ago it was, how long ago the individual smoked, or who in the vehicle smoked. Um, so the odor would just be one of the considerations. It would be more of a totality of the circumstances approach where uh, it would depend on the officer's training and experience, the explanation the suspect gives about the odor and uh, how long they smoked or who smoked in the car, um, and any objective symptoms of intoxication um, or of being under the influence, the location where the stop occurs, a lot of other uh, factors that the officer would take into account in determining whether, whether or not that odor sufficed for probable cause. Okay. So let's say an officer smells an odor of marijuana, fresh or burnt, and the defendant provides an implausible explanation for the smell or denies possessing or using any marijuana. 
can that be the additional evidence necessary to get over the probable cause hump uh, in conjunction with the owner? With, with the odor, uh, in other words, is that enough to suggest that there's probable cause to believe the person possesses marijuana unlawfully? And if so, why? Uh, it can be. So if an officer smells the odor of marijuana and a defendant provides some kind of implausible explanation, that kind of goes to uh, consciousness of guilt, right? And so if, if that individual is providing an explanation that the odor is coming from an empty mason jar with some marijuana residue, for example, but the officer knows that that odor is so strong, it can't be an empty uh, mason jar. There has to be actual cannabis there. There is kind of a an implied omission by the defendant trying to hide what may be the presence of unlawful marijuana in the vehicle. Uh, and that was exactly what we saw in People v. Moore, and I think that down to the empty mason jar and the residue. All right. Well, similarly, let's say a driver is uh, engaged in conduct or behavior that reflects that the person themselves doesn't believe they're in lawful possession of marijuana. Can that be the additional evidence beyond a mere odor or possession of a lawful amount uh, necessary to establish probable, probable cause? That's also enough. Um, like I said, any facts that show consciousness of guilt can contribute to this probable cause an analysis. So that can be anything like furtive movements, a failure to stop the vehicle um, when an officer is trying to initiate the vehicle stop, uh, nervous demeanor, or uh, an implausible explanation of why the odor is in the vehicle or emanating from the vehicle. Okay, so uh, I know we talked a little bit about the medical marijuana cards earlier. If a driver has a medical marijuana card, does that impact at all whether there's probable cause to search a vehicle based on the odor or presence of marijuana? It actually does. Um, while a medical marijuana card doesn't automatically defeat probable cause, it's a factor that an officer has to take into account when deciding whether he has probable cause to search the vehicle. And this is because the open container laws are a little different for people with medical marijuana cards. For example, vehicle code section 23222B1 does not apply uh, to an individual who possesses a medical marijuana card if they are currently carrying their card and the cannabis that they're transporting or that's, that they mm -hmm. possess is in a container that is sealed, resealed, or closed. So that container is lawfully possessed regardless of whether it's been resealed, uh, which is different from the vehicle code. Okay, so in other words, there may be times when someone with a medical marijuana card who is transporting something in a closed, in, in, in a container, may not be in violation of the open container law, whereas someone, if they didn't have the medical marijuana card, would be. That's exactly it. Okay, I'd like to ask you some questions now regarding the open container laws, since that's where we've kind of landed. If a person is in violation of either the open container law of uh, Health and Safety Code Section 11362.3A4 or Vehicle Code Section 23222B, will that provide probable cause to search a vehicle? It should. Uh, if an individual is in violation of either Health and Safety Code 11362.3A4 or Vehicle Code Section 23222B, an officer should have sufficient probable cause to search the entire vehicle, including the trunk, and any compartments within the vehicle uh, because there could be evidence of a crime or there could even be uh, contraband in the vehicle. What, why is that? Well, in the court's view, if there's contraband in plain view, there's probably more somewhere in the car uh, or at least some evidence of that crime. And in People v. Shumaki, the court held or upheld 
the search of a passenger's purse uh, because the presence of an open container of marijuana on the passenger's person provided officers probable cause to believe that the passenger may possess other open containers, including in the passenger's purse. Uh, the court in Schumacher analogized to People v. Sousa, uh, a case holding that an open container of alcohol within plain view in a vehicle similarly provided probable cause to believe other open containers may be found. Okay, I think we're going to see a, a lot of analogies being drawn between the open container law regarding marijuana and the open container law regarding alcohol, where we do have some existing case law. Now, if there's a violation of the, of the open container law, will that allow a search of the trunk always, as well as the passenger compartment? That depends. Uh, there might not be probable cause to search the trunk if possession of the marijuana only violates Health and Safety Code 11362.3A4. And the reason for that is that it's a crime for someone to carry an open container of marijuana in the passenger compartment of the vehicle, but it's not a crime for them to carry an open container in the trunk so long as it's less than 28.5 grams. So if the officer believes that an individual is in violation of an open container law, they likely wouldn't find additional evidence of that open container in the trunk, since anything that's in the trunk would be transported in accordance with the law. And this was precisely the reasoning in People v. Cook, though that's an unreported case. Um, but there the court held that since it's lawful to transport loose leaf or open or even unsealed containers of marijuana in the trunk of a car, the open container only provided probable cause to search the passenger compartment. It didn't allow officers to go and search the trunk. If uh, the marijuana is in a sealed but previously open container, will that violate either of the open container laws? Yes. Um, while it doesn't violate the Health and Safety Code, it does violate Vehicle Code Section 23222B, but only when there's evidence that the container of marijuana was on the person of the suspect while he was driving. Um, so to break it down, the Vehicle Code section requires several things. First, it's that the person uh, in possession has to be the driver of the vehicle. Um, Second, they have to have the marijuana on their person. It's not enough that they have it in the cup holder. It's not enough that it's in, just in the car generally. Uh, and lastly, the, uh, pass, or the driver of the car has to have it while driving. It's not enough that he's sitting in a parked car, that the car could have been driven or was maybe driven earlier in the day. An officer needs to have information that the driver was driving at the time that he had the marijuana on his person. Can that be proved circumstantially, or does, there or does an officer actually have to see the marijuana on the person's, uh, uh, on the person? I mean, it's same with like alcohol. I mean, do they actually have to see the person holding it, or can, can that be established like through circumstantial evidence? Yes, they must have been holding it while they were driving. No, you can, an officer can establish it through circumstantial evidence. There is some case law where uh, the courts analogize to open containers of alcohol on the uh, floor and, you know, they look at how many people are in the car and whether you can make an inference that it was in the driver's possession. Okay. Now, what about if the only marijuana possessed is, quote, loose cannabis flower? Well, possession of loose cannabis flower is not unlawful if it's carried in the trunk or even if it's carried in the passenger compartment, it just has to be in a container. But it doesn't really matter whether the container is open or closed. It just has to be in a container. 
by the way, how is loose cannabis flower distinct from just plain old cannabis or marijuana? Well, Jeff, if I'm being honest, (laughs) I think it's still something we're looking into. Uh, Unfortunately, the statutes don't exactly define the terms, but what it appears to be is that cannabis flower refers to the individual buds of of the marijuana plant after they're removed from the plant, but before they are uh, processed, ground, or crushed. So plain old cannabis or marijuana refers to the processed flowers once they're ground and ready to roll into a cigarette or a joint versus the cannabis flower would be pre-processing. Okay. But remains to be seen. (laughs) All right. Well, that's as good a stab as any. So does the fact an officer only sees an amount of marijuana that may not be a usable quantity impact whether there's probable cause to believe the marijuana is possessed unlawfully? Well, that's another question that remains to be seen. Uh, So right now, it seems as though the amount of marijuana possessed in a vehicle might need to be a usable amount to violate the health and safety code or the vehicle code. Um, When it comes to the open container laws. When it comes to open container laws, right. Um, There have been some cases that discuss the amount found needed to be a usable amount, but those cases discuss the the sufficiency of of the evidence required to uphold a conviction for possession of narcotics, not whether an officer had sufficient uh, probable cause to believe the marijuana was unlawfully possessed, uh, or whether the remnants could indicate recent use of marijuana while driving. Um, but the IPG and the accompanying pod- podcast lay out the distinction with uh, the case law that I'm referencing. Okay. If an officer sees a partially smoked marijuana cigarette, will that provide probable cause to believe there's been a violation of the open container laws? Uh, it might. Uh, One could argue that it does. As I noted earlier, the possession of a partially smoked uh, marijuana cigarette in a vehicle is likely a violation of either the Health or Safety Code, uh, 11362.3A4, or Vehicle Code Section 23222B. One would have to do some further analysis. Um, But that was essentially the holding in fuse, and the court of People v. McGee, a more recent decision, um, reviewed and accepted the premise in fuse. What about if it is... An unsmoked cigarette, so completely wrapped. Is that a violation of the open container law? That also remains to be seen. A lot of unknowns here, Jeff. Uh, one could argue either way, uh, but one could definitely argue that an that a wrapped unsmoked cigarette or marijuana cigarette is not an open container within the meaning of the statute, uh, but one could also argue it is an open container. So we just don't have guidance from the courts yet but it's, fair to make, yet. So we, it, it's certainly fair to make an argument that it is in violation we just don't know how courts can ultimately rule right can an officer justify the search of a vehicle based on possession of marijuana that might be lawful under like california state law but which remains unlawful under federal law no they can't um and i i would just refer you to usv tally usv jones usv martinez i believe they're all in the ipg but It discusses Mm -hmm. why uh, that's not the case. All right. So before we move on to the next topic, I just want to point out that the IPG that accompanies this podcast provides citation for each of the principles that we've discussed, as well as a summary of each of the cases, as well as other cases from which these principles are derived. 
uh, you should also point out, Jeff, that the IPG includes a one-page checklist of all of the relevant information to elicit from an officer uh, when trying to determine whether the search of a vehicle was based on the odor or possession of a lawful amount of marijuana. And one other thing. What's that? You included both published and unpublished cases in the accompanying IPG, but we can't cite those unpublished cases. So why were they included? <laughs> okay, so it's true they cannot be cited. So anyone who's looking at the IPG has to be aware of that. But they do provide helpful guidance as to how the appellate courts are likely to view the various issues, especially issues that have only been discussed in the unpublished cases and not in the published cases. After all, it's the same judges who are issuing the published cases and the unpublished cases. And also, uh, to make people feel more comfortable in, in arguing principles that we've expressed here, uh, I threw in some unpublished cases because that should give you some uh, you know, emotional support in <laughs> arguing uh, the, the principles we said, even if there's like only a single published case on it. That makes sense. We appreciate it, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that you've forcibly extracted all the information I have about searching vehicles based on marijuana, I'm going to turn the tables and I'm going to ask you some questions about the issues that officers are struggling with. Okay, well, turnabout's fair play, so... <laughs> Ask away. Okay, so these days, officers are often reluctant to arrest a defendant for a misdemeanor crime of being under the influence of drugs in violation of Health and Safety Code 11550, or for that matter, even for being in possession of drugs in violation of Health and Safety Code 11350 or 11377. So when you talk about an arrest, you're talking about custodial arrest, right? Yes, a okay. custodial arrest. Um, however, they also know that someone who's under the influence of drugs is likely to also be in possession of evidence of that crime, such as the drugs themselves or uh, paraphernalia. Can they search that per the person of the suspect for that evidence, even if they're only planning to cite them for the offense? Well, interestingly, that depends on which exception to the general warrant requirement of the Fourth Amendment uh, is being used and applied. If an officer is solely relying on the search incident to arrest exception, then the answer is clearly no. And the interests that justify a search incident to arrest are present whenever an officer makes a custodial arrest. The search allows the officers to safeguard evidence and even more importantly, to ensure their safety if they're gonna be uh, exposed to the defendant when they're taking the person into custody and transporting the person to the police station. However, as pointed out by the California Supreme Court in the case of People versus Macabeo, officers issuing citations don't face that same danger, and therefore they don't have the same authority to search. So once it is clear that an arrest, a custodial arrest, is not going to take place, the justification for a search incident to arrest is no longer operative. As some courts have said, there's no such thing as a search incident to citation. Now, I if I may go off on a little bit of a tangent here, <laughs> there, there are going to be circumstances where an officer is authorized to and may decide to make a custodial arrest of someone for being under the influence. I mean, Penal Code Section 853.6A1 says, like, in any case in which a person is arrested for an offense declared to be a misdemeanor and doesn't demand to be taken before a magistrate, the person shall, instead of being taken before a magistrate, be released. Uh, although, and there are certain procedures that are laid out regarding that release, although nothing prevents an officer from, from booking an, arrest, an arrestee 
uh, pursuant to subdivision G of, of that uh, section. A misdemeanor arrest for being under the influence of a controlled substance is not one of those offenses that is expressly listed as being exempt from this mandate of you know, release. And the interest protected by the search incident to arrest could potentially apply, though, if someone is going to be transported for booking or demands to be taken before a magistrate, right? They're going to be, the officer still has to have those safety concerns. Also, there are several exceptions to the general rule of no custodial arrest for a misdemeanor that could potentially apply, even though it's not expressly stated about which sections, uh, 11550 or 11377, et cetera. But there are some that, that could apply and might often apply when someone is under the influence of a drug, including, uh, these are the some of the exceptions, if the person arrested was so intoxicated that they could have been a danger to themselves or others, that the person arrested required a medical examination or medical care or was unable to care for their own safety, if they can't provide satisfactory identification, uh, if the prosecution of the offense or the offenses for which they're being arrested or the prosecution of any other offenses would be jeopardized by the immediate release of the person arrested, and uh, if there's a reasonable likelihood that the offense or offenses would continue or resume or that the safety of persons or property would be imminently endangered by release of the person arrested. Okay, but remember, my question assumed the officer does not want to make a custodial arrest. So are you saying that they can't search the person unless they arrest them, even if there's probable cause to believe they're in possession of evidence of the crime uh, of being under the influence, such as the drugs themselves? No, all I'm not. Actually, all, all I was trying to get across was that if an officer is relying on the search incident to arrest exception, they can't do the search of a person unless a custodial arrest is being made. However, if an officer is relying on the exigent circumstances exception, then I think it is likely a different story. How so? Well, officers can search a suspect absent a warrant if exigent circumstances exist to justify the search and there is insufficient time to obtain a warrant before addressing the exigency. Now, one type of exigent circumstances is the need to prevent the loss or destruction of evidence. When the police possess probable cause to conduct a search, but because of exigent circumstances do not have time to obtain a warrant, they can search without a warrant. And this rule applies equally to searches of persons and property. So, if an officer has probable cause to believe a suspect is under the influence of a controlled substance, there is likely probable cause to believe the evidence relating to that offense, in other words, maybe the drugs themselves, or like you mentioned earlier, like drug paraphernalia, there, there's likely probable cause to believe that's going to be found on the suspect's person. I mean, this conclusion is just based on the same general rationale that if there's probable cause to believe a driver is under the influence, there was also probable cause to believe evidence relevant to that offense might be found in the person's vehicle. And, you know, there are many California cases that support that principle in which we've listed in uh, the accompanying IPG. Right, but aren't most of those cases, cases involving whether a search of the vehicle for evidence relevant to the crime of arrest is permitted when an occupant of a vehicle is arrested under the rule laid out in the United States Supreme Court of Arizona v. Gantt from 2009? The Gantt Court stated that it would be permissible to search the car if it was reasonable to believe that evidence relevant to the crime of arrest would be present, and whether reasonable to believe is equivalent to probable cause uh, for an open is an open question. Well, that's true. 
and reasonable to believe is, is likely a lesser standard than probable cause. But the general principle that it is a reasonable inference that someone who is under the influence of a drug is in possession of the drug still exists and should apply in this context. And there are many cases from out of state, even if there's not a lot of California cases on it, finding that there's probable cause to search someone who is under the influence of a drug for more drugs. If there's probable cause to believe the person is, is in possession of more drugs or evidence of drug use, like the paraphernalia, and there's reason to believe that that evidence would be lost or destroyed unless seized at the moment, then the exit and circumstances exception should permit the search of, a, of the person and a seizure of the, those items. And why is that? Because if an officer lacks authority to place a defendant on a custodial arrest, right? So it's just a misdemeanor and none of the exceptions apply, so they can't. And they lack that then they're going to lack the authority to conduct a search incident to that custodial arrest. So whatever evidence is on the person, that whether it's paraphernalia or the unused amount of drugs, that evidence is going to be lost or destroyed unless the <laughs> officer searches the person. And as I mentioned, there are plenty of out-of-state cases adopting this rationale. Don't we also have to show that getting a warrant is not feasible for the officer? Yes, for the exigent circumstances to apply, that's true. The out-of-state cases, several of them, have rejected as implausible the idea that it would be feasible to obtain a search warrant in this <laughs> circumstance. I mean, after all, if an officer had to obtain a search warrant, it would require the person being cuffed or otherwise incapacitated so they couldn't destroy the evidence and kept detained for a lengthy amount of time while that search warrant was obtained. This would be a greater intrusion than the search itself. And I... Right. Put in a, f a fair amount of quotes from cases outside of this, uh, outside of California, but one of them says, "Look, where the police have a legitimate reason not to arrest an, an individual, um, not to make a custodial arrest, it's illogical to require them to inflict a greater deprivation of liberty to justify the lesser intrusion of a search. I mean, requiring a, the police to arrest a suspect to justify a search would." paradoxically turn an arrest into a constitutional safeguard against warrantless searches. Right, right. Well, it's good you have cases on point from out of state included in the IPG because I don't think there's a California case on point. Um, do you think that this rule holds true even when an officer finds a person under the influence of marijuana or smelling or, or smelling the odor of marijuana uh, or detects the odor of mm -hmm. marijuana emanating from that person? Well, it might be if the person was going to be arrested for like public intoxication or if the person was under 21, but not otherwise, uh, unless there's some additional evidence that the, creates probable cause for the officer to believe that the person's use or possession is not lawful. I mean, there has to be probable cause to believe in order to do the search that the person is unlawfully in possession of marijuana in order for the exigent circumstance exception to apply in that instance. So if you just smell the odor of marijuana and there's no reason to believe that it was unlawful or you see someone even, you know, smoking uh, or ingesting marijuana, if it's in a if it's in a lawful amount, then no, you don't get to search the person uh, under either the exigent circumstance exception or as a, a search incident to citation. <laughs> All right. Well, that makes sense. Uh, thanks, Jeff. I think that answers all the questions that I had. So unless you have questions for me, I think that's the end. All right. Well, I don't have any questions. Uh, only gratitude for your appearance and also for the attention of our listeners. So till next time.